my cup. Think to be a better rooster, see clean for them top. Get me pains a Hey everyone, welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold. And this week we have part two of my conversation with Brian Posehn, who, I mean, what a fucking life. I hope you listen to part one because it's, it's unreal. What a great guy. Just great guy. So part two is full of more gems. Also want to say, um, thinking about the people in Turkey who, I just can't believe this earthquake. It's just, it's awful. So thinking about those people, also thinking about, you know, the people I hate, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, the usual Lauren Boebert. I hate Ted Cruz so much. It was so much better when he was like out because his daughter hates him. But whatever. They're all back. George Santos, don't even fucking get me started. I also want to say I performed this past weekend in Avenel, New Jersey, which is right by where I grew up. And it was a packed house and it was so fun. The Avenel Performing Arts Center is great. So thank you, everyone who came. Uh, yes, I did see some people from high school uh, who most of them were very nice to me during my high school years. So that was nice. And oh, this is funny. So I called up my sister and I was like, are you coming to my show? You know, and it was that night when it was really, really cold. And she said, uh... No, it's really cold out. And I said, oh, that's great. Because, you know, if you were performing by me, I would go and see you even if it was cold out. And she said, well, you never came uh, to see me do a filing. She worked in an insurance company. And, you know, that's the big joke. You never come see me do a filing, but she's retired now. So I was so mad and I call up Elisa and then I call up my friend Robin Luann and, um, and I'm like, I can't believe it. You know, my family's so unsupportive. And blah, blah, blah. and I was sitting backstage with John Fish, and we're just chit-chatting before the show. And the stage manager comes in and says, your sister's at the door with a cup of coffee? And I'm like, what? And I open the door, and there's my sister and my niece. Okay, so I'm an asshole. All right, so my family is supportive. Fuck it. So that's that. So I had that, and I want you to know rehearsals – Today was at, well, this is, this is airing on Tuesday, but Monday was the first rehearsal for Yes, I Can Say That uh, at 5090 59th Street Theaters. And it was amazing to see the design team. They gave a presentation. The show, go buy tickets to the show. And even if I suck, the, the art, the scene, the, the, the art, what is it called? The the fucking oh god damn it the the set design oh my god because i've been in rehearsal all day uh the set design is just going to be amazing and the sound and the lights and but yeah i'm really excited i love rehearsing um so that's great and what else i i don't know we have a lot of upcoming episodes that are going to be pretty amazing that i think you're going to enjoy and some surprises. So right now uh, we have the second half of my interview with Brian, who is just adorable. So I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of my conversation with Brian Posehn. Okay. 
So you get through fucking high school, you know, knowing your work, it makes so much sense that you are where you are because of your, you know, consuming, you know, words and film and having this fucking shit happen to you. Like, it's like, at some point you have to be like, I have no control. Like people live their whole life trying to realize they have no control over anything. And you are getting all of this, these messages of like, life's short, you know, I I can't even imagine what goes on in your fucking brain. So you, <laughs> you graduate and then uh, at 19, your mother kicks you out because you're a fucking asshole. And yeah. then uh, you go to the same college your father went to, America River, American River College. Um, and you go into the English and drama department, which is what your father did. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's another reaching, I think, for your, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. A well, no, that was definitely on purpose. That was trying to connect with him. Right. Even though, you know, because right. partly I didn't feel that much encouragement from my mom. I, luckily, once I started doing stand up, my mom got behind me. But before right. that, she didn't know, like, she wanted me to do. She thought I was a smart kid and I was a smart kid, but so she wanted me to work harder and I didn't. Right. And uh, she not. wanted me to go to a regular college and I didn't have the grades, you know, right. and I, I literally failed a couple of classes. Right. I, had, I had failed PE because I hated it so much. Can you fucking believe that shit? That they would give you a grade in physical education? Like, shut the fuck up. No, I had to go to summer school to even get out of high school. Ugh, the worst. Yeah. So you go, but you're in the meantime, you spent like six months honing a tight 10-minute set. And you waited to turn 21. Is this right? Yeah. And you have your first ever stand-up set at an open mic at Metro Bar and Grill on K Street. Yeah. Um, and you and your good friend Glenn, <laughs> who worked at uh, Steve's Pizza, Rico's Italian Pete McDonald's, you had a couple beers before you went on stage. And the first time you went on stage, did you kill? Yeah, I crushed. Yeah, I went on too. late in late in the show too, like because they were like, "You're new. You got to." basically right. close it out right and uh yeah it went so well that do you remember <laughs> i was that? just do you remember that oh again? yeah you know you probably went through the same, same thing. thing it was like holy shit this is what i'm supposed to do it, it was like a fucking uh, out of body yeah. experience i got my first laugh and i was like oh my i'm controlling the laugh I'm yeah controlling yeah the laughter. I'm and, in control. I have the power here. And it gave me more confidence. Like right. I, I was so cocky in the beginning too, because, but I ate my second show. I think I mentioned in the book, I ate it. Yeah, and it was the, the following week. And I went with all new material. So I'd written five minutes in six months. And then I wrote another five minutes in right. six days. Right. And uh, it didn't go as well as the, the six months, five minute bit. So, then I went third week, I went back and told jokes that I told the first time and worked on them and right. figured out kind of on my own. I didn't have 
a lot of other comics give me input because we're all in the same place. We're all, you know, we're all open micers. And right. no, then I help you. Yeah. Yeah. Six no months time. or a year later, I started to meet guys who had a little more experience than me. And then that's how I got other gigs and, you know, started to move around town and actually go to San Francisco. And I mean, I think that part of my life where. How old were you, by the way? Sorry to interrupt. I was 19. But when did you start? Oh, okay, cool. I was 19. But how did you get into a club? Well, I went to, I was in New Jersey, and the the, uh, drinking age had just turned to 21 from 18. But what happened was was, they grandfathered people in. So I got grandfathered in at 19. So I could go into bars and stuff. In New Jersey. What year did you graduate? We must be the same, no, around the I'm same four age. four years older than you. Oh. Okay. I look way younger, but I'm four years older than you. I would uh, never have guessed. You graduated in 80? 80. Yeah, 80. And so I was at Rutgers, and someone in Secret Santa dared me to do a set on the the floor of our, um, you know, our dorm, you know, the the lounge. And I wrote all this material about everyone. I took two days off of classes and just wrote shit about everyone who lived on the floor. And I, I, I can still see, I have a picture. I have this picture of me standing there. Um, Amazing. And I, I had a microphone for some reason. And I, I don't know. It was the weirdest feeling that first laugh. And then I got someone, I got it. I did a, thing at Rutgers, a campus comedy, and it was Adrian Tolsh, Bill Shaft, and Larry uh-huh. Amaros. Oh, wow. Um, came in for Catch Rising Star, and I got to do five minutes, and they li- they literally told, they said to me, you're really funny, and I was like, really? And when, you know, when a professional comedian yeah. tells you that, and I started hanging out at Catch Rising Star at like 19, 20 years old. And just, yeah. Um, and you had I had a guy out. in the audience, uh, like when I first started, he goes, uh, you probably don't know him, but you remind me of Mort Saul. And I was like, yes, I know Mort Saul. Yeah. Like, I was I'm like, yeah. I'm like, holy shit. And that That's was the first compliment. That was the first one from like somebody watching me going, you should keep doing this. Yeah. You know, and then the other comics around me all were like that because some of them were not that happy at how easily it kind of came for me. Right. But it's all that humiliation. Like you're fearless. Like I think people don't realize like you can't at that young age, you can't say anything to me that I haven't heard before. Oh, you can. I've already been humiliated. I've already felt like shit. I've already like sat in my room for, you know, no audience was going to make me feel as bad as Eric Johnson in fourth grade did. You know, exactly. Exactly. You, so you then moved to, first of all, I love that you worked at Tower Records. You know, when I was, when I moved to New York, I was 21. Okay. And I had a job, but then I was doing sets at night and trying to, whatever. And whenever I accomplished something, my present to myself was to go to Tower Records. And get the one by it. NYU or... Oh uh, no, the one on the Upper West Side, oh, Lincoln okay. Center, the Lincoln Center one. That right, yeah, yeah. And I would get stoned and just, you know, and it was no phones. Like I was, you know, you would just fucking walk there, and you would go through all these albums. And I mean, that whole—I really feel sad for my kids that they'll never know. 
what it's like to like go to a record store, read liner yeah. notes, you know, oh, for and sure. like a rap buyer. What the fuck is that? <laughs> well, I was the only kid who knew it, you know, uh, I was already a big fan. Right. I had been since, uh, you know, since I had first heard, you know, even though in California, we didn't grow up with it like you right. did, but, uh, and, and then at a certain point we did when it, when it started to become popular here, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, they, the, the manager knew I knew my shit, like right. to get hired at tower, you actually had to take a music test. Wow. You did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you probably aced it. I did because I knew about stuff I didn't even care about. Like right. I could answer Elvis Costello questions, but I was, you know, into Metallica already right. and that, you know, that you, stuff I was, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, being a metalhead, being a nerd, you know, all of this stuff that you're sort of attracted to, like it is so loud and um, sort of not harsh, but just like sort of, I, I don't know. It's, it feels like a release of fucking tension and anger and it makes so much sense to me because you're such a gentle soul yet you want to, you're, you're aiming, you know, you have this desire to just fucking scream and it's, you're, you're such a, um, a layered person, which is. Well, I feel lucky that I found those things. I mean, that I found horror movies and comic books and metal and they all tapped into this. Right. Darkness that I had, you know, from life, right. <laughs> um, but also kind of relief from the darkness because, you know, my music, the ones I really like in the comic books kind of showed me there was something else or, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. You have, I feel like you were living in your head anyway. And then you have these books that were telling stories and stories. I just, you're just so fucking creative. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, so, first of all, I did have a question about growing up in Sonoma or living in Sonoma. Like, did everyone drink wine? Was it like, I mean, we got beer and fucking blueberry brandy and smoked cigarettes at Quick Check. Did you guys all drink wine? A little bit. We did. Like, we stole wine because yeah. that was like uh, the easy alcohol to get. Like, we, I, my buddy lived next door to a winery. So we wow. would literally climb his fence and go and grab a jug of wine (laughs) and it was terrible like we're drinking red wine in the creek at like age 14 and it was not good yeah yeah hilarious Um, but uh but yeah i mean so half my friends were wealthy because they ran like the local turkey farm or a winery and then the other friends were like my mom worked for the state so half the kids I knew were not, you know, we weren't poor kids because my, my mom did have a job, but I was an apartment kid. And then half my friends had like houses and, and then in high school, a couple of my friends had mansions and up in the Hills. So it was a a strange place. Yeah. It was a strange place to kind of grow up. Right. And how touristy it was too. Like people would come to that town, like they were shooting movies there. Yeah. 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 Hey everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which 
yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. I just did Chef's Choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And Factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50, to get... 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at Factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. You said that you, when you started, that you admired comics like Sam Kinison, um, which makes a lot of sense, Eddie Murphy, but that you were put off by their misogyny and homophobia. Yeah. Do you think that that you were more sensitive to that? Well, I mean, obviously because you're a babysitter, right? Well, and also I took away from my mom. I'm, you know, for the the negative things I got from my mom, I really she was a feminist, obviously. Right. You know, being a single mom in nineteen in the seventies, you kind of had to be. And right. then where we were, you know, and like I remember my first time smelling pot was at her friend's house and they're all talking about Nixon and what a crook right. he was. And so I grew up in this cool time, but I was, and all her friends were hippies. So right. I got messages got from them, that, you know, you get, yeah. that's the way yeah. you treat people. And, you know, also, and I had a gay friend in high school who, you did? yeah, my closest came friend out with you. That oh came yeah. Out to you? Yeah. 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 And, and, we would have been best friends. Yeah, no, I had that dude's back to death. You know, I was like, right. oh, <laughs> bry, bry. Okay. <laughs> so um, in 1991, uh, you move in to an apartment with uh, Patton Oswald. Was that right? Yeah. 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 And how did you meet Patton? 
he came to town from the East Coast and was doing sets around San Francisco. Right. And uh, I saw him like at the punchline and in uh, the improv. And then we really hooked up at it at this pizza place. I wish I could remember the name of he would because he didn't smoke as much pot as I have. But uh, um, we met at this place, him and Blaine Capatch. They both came out together. Do you know Blaine? No. Blaine is a guy, an East Coast guy too, but now has been out here forever. But you have friends that are joke machines that yeah. are just like, he's one of those guys. Like, and he was when we were kids. And uh, we all three became friends because we were all into stand up, but all kind of geeky and, and right. liked, we all liked the same stuff. And so right. Patton and I really found out when we, uh, we were in the San Francisco competition together and then the that Seattle competition. competition. You know, that was no, notorious. Like even on the East coast, it was like, people would come and know you, I won the, or I came in second at the San Francisco. Yeah. And yeah. I, I always hate it. I hate comedy competitions because it's so subjective and it's like, I don't know. I'm not. It was the know. worst, but we had a good attitude about it. And the other comics hated us for it because we were like, this thing doesn't matter. Right. Let's just have the best sets we can. Let's have fun. Let's, you know, and so he and I would um, do shit to make each other laugh in the competition right. where we, he threw uh, he threw water on his head. As soon as he opened up, he like the first joke out of his mouth, he just pours water on his head and people were shocked. And then he had to dig himself out of it. Right. And then I would do, like I told a joke that tanked on purpose. Right just so I could dig myself out right. of it. And the other comics are like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like <laughs> I've been obsessing over my set for this. For yeah. The and then you guys year. are fucking yeah. around. Like, yeah. how dare you? And then I actually had a guy tell me to take it seriously. He goes, it's a comedy competition. You got to take it seriously. And, <laughs> and me and Patton were like, ha ha ha, you know, but I think so, yeah, but he, that yeah, maybe tells why we, we worked out our careers worked out and theirs didn't like the right. guys that yelled at us. I couldn't even tell you, right. You know what they're up to. So you, and you would write sketches with him. Uh, yeah. and then you moved to, uh, you moved down to LA and you were friends with, um, David cross. Right. And you're yep. hanging out and you, he, you, he introduced you to Bob Odenkirk. And you got I met the cool kids. I don't know yeah, what else to say. So like, fucking, I'm so happy because fucking shit you're coming from. And, yeah. Um. So you meet Bob and you get you get asked, you get cast as an actor. Right. And then they start asking your opinion on the writing. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. Wait, they're, they want to know my opinion. I mean, which is, were you nervous at that point or like, no, because I, I had a little, like I had this fake confidence because I was doing well and right. I, you know, and my sketches were liked by my friends when I showed them to them. So, right. uh, no, that was, I thought I finally thought I had something I could do. Like I, I really did have confidence about it because in, and in the beginning of Mr. Show, I was kind of a dick in the room because yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, did you were you were you an asshole? I thought I was the third funniest in the room. 
Right. You know, I was like, Bob and David are the funniest, but I'm funnier than these other fuckers. Right. You know, my, my, who were my friends. But, uh, I, I just thought I was good at it too. I was good at writing sketch. And I mean, uh-huh, the fact that I've got, yeah. you know, I got so many sketches on in those first couple of seasons and a lot of them we did have to rewrite, but I just was pretty prolific. And so I was like, this is definitely stand-up was what I was supposed to do. And this is also a big part of it. Were the other, who else was in the writer's room? Uh, Paul F. Tompkins. Sarah. Uh, Jay Johnson. No, we never Sarah had hired Sarah. In the writer's room. Wow. Okay. Sarah, Sarah's stuff that she turned in, she didn't. She didn't a hundred percent. I mean, she was funnier than the stuff she turned in. So, right. uh, uh, and then Patton tried and didn't get hired, but he wound up at Mad TV with, with my friend Blaine. And, uh, but then we had later on Scott Ackerman came on, but it was a, it was a small staff. I mean, it was only and just was a handful men. of us. It was like so hard for women then. I, I remember, uh, well, we would have hired it. It was all friends. Right. We would have hired any of our female friends if they turned in enough good stuff. And right, they didn't right, like right. we went to Karen Kilgariff, too. So right. uh, and they wound up being in sketches. They were on. They were actors. But we were never the guys that like girls aren't funny because right, right. my friends were funny. Like yeah, I was already I friends with Janine Garofalo and Laura yeah. Keitlinger. So I was like. Oh no! I that never not, even uh, came into my head. Yeah, you know, no, like, you were never like that. I know, but no. we know who was. Um, but so you have this newfound confidence, and you also have this sort of, oh my god, there's other people who are fucking weirdos like me, and they're successful, and they have crazy thoughts, and they put them to paper. I mean, this must have been like sort of redemption or some sort of like, oh my god. I felt so cool at the beginning of the nineties in LA, like just with these guys, I was like, this is my little group I'm supposed to be with. And then people like local comics didn't like us. Like a lot of called us a click and, you know, uh, there were a lot of people, you know, main, more mainstream comics that like when, when it started to be called alternative comedy, That was when other people were like, oh, you're an alternative comic. And yeah, I was like, not really. That. I yeah. already did evening at the improv, but Friedman's already, you know, loves me. So no, I don't think so. That I had that I had a similar experience because I was a mainstream comic. And then I was a you know, I was working the mainstream club mainstream clubs when I came out. But I was never a I wasn't like the other kind. Like I was different in a way, but they wouldn't let me be in the alternative. I was like, can I please do on camera? I tell stories. I don't tell, you know, and they're like, no, you tell too many jokes. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a fucking freak. Like, please. And Oh, I got that here. I got that from Uncab too, but yeah, but But now I do it. Now I do it, which is I'm like, okay, it took me 30 fucking years, but, um, but for me, it was also all my friends were alternative comics. So, they, I was already in, you know, right. the, the woman who ran on cabaret kind of couldn't keep yeah. me down. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, so, all right. So you, you, you get to this point where you're so confident and you're like, fuck you, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to click whatever. Did you ever get your bubble burst after that, where it was like, come on down from this. No, I mean, myself. 
there would just be times where it was a little harder to find a gig, you know, right. like I got cast in all those 90s sitcoms and then I didn't, you know, in the two thousands for a little while, there was some, you know, so there were periods where things would slow down for me. Definitely. But I, it wasn't like uh, my confidence wasn't rebuffed or any, in any right. way, you know, I knew. And I always thought like, I don't look at anybody else in the gigs they get and think that that's like, could have been mine. Right. You know, I always thought I'm, I have a spot and I'm lucky, you know, and if I work hard, I'll get other things from that. And so I never was like mad at something else or right. some, something one of my friends got because I was just like, well, that wasn't for me. Right. You know? Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because um, it took me a while. I mean, for the women, it was so different because they would only choose one woman. So woman for, and so they, they sort of made you, they sort of created this system where it's like, it's only going to be one of you. Who's it going to be? And you're like supposed to be catfighting. And I realized that, no, that's just going to destroy us. So I was like, I'm not right. You know, you have to learn I'm not right, right for that. Good for her. She gets better. She gets more shit. It's better for women overall, but you know, I really always felt in the nineties sort of jealous of the, there were a lot of clicks like that of guys who one would get a TV show and then bring all their friends to be writers and producers and women didn't get those opportunities. So, right. But you were still hanging out with those guys in the cellar, right? I mean, that's oh, how I, I met them. you was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love them, but you know, I was like one of the guys because I w literally started, so, you know, I was young, but I wanted to be a great comic. Like that was, I was literally, I want to be a great comic. And I think they respected me because I didn't want to fuck them. I just wanted to be funny. Um, right. And I love all of them I, to this day. And yeah. I don't know if the comedy community is like that anymore. Uh, no, I don't know. The young no. comics. I don't know if they're. Well, they're all doing fentanyl together. Right. Yeah. And and doing viral videos and then going to a club yeah. and going, wait, I have to do how long? Yeah. You know I love my liquid IV. That I drink liquid IV pretty much every day. And I love it because it keeps me hydrated. I travel with it because it's in little packets. It tastes great. It's an amazing product. It hydrates better than water alone, three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks, eight vitamins and nutrients, non-GMO. But here's the best part. You know I've been bragging about Ben, my son Ben, who plays basketball. His team, his entire team, they love Liquid IV. I mean, they are number four in the nation. They are an amazing team. They've done better than ever this year. Dare I say it's because of the liquid IV? I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm telling you, these athletes love liquid IV. They love all the flavors, strawberry, lemonade. I love the watermelon. I never give them any of my watermelon. They have sugar-free, white peach, green grape, lemon, lime. It makes you feel great. And if you need a little caffeine, the, the uh, lemon ginger is beyond, beyond. And I know they use it while they're working out, I'm pretty sure they might use it after a game that they won and went out and had, you know, a couple of drinky poos. But that being said, 
I love Liquid IV. They're a great sponsor. They're a great product. And I honestly couldn't live without them. And it's winter still. You need to be hydrated. Hydration is very important. So weekends are for going wild, as you all know. Have a game plan for Monday. That's what you need. I just had this conversation with Ben's girlfriend. I said, if you're going to go out and party, you need a game plan. And what's your game plan? Liquid IV. Weekends are for going wild. Have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at liquidiv.com. You're welcome! So you met your wife. You're married at this point. Now you're married. You have a son. First of all, you married someone 5'3". And I just want to tell you, I wrote this down. 5'3". Five, 5'1", five, five, if she's lucky. Oh, yeah. You said she's 5'3", <laughs> but she, she says she's 5'3". Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, there are two things I have to talk to you about. Number one, uh, you know, my son is 6'8", and he plays college basketball. And I had to watch this kid who's athletic, smart, you know, handsome. I had to watch like a perfect specimen. He was, he was chunky as a kid. So he was, you know, he hated his body, but I had to watch like the complete opposite experience I had being a tall, dorky music nerd, fucking, you know, whatever. And I watched him and I, all I would say to my kids all the time is, do, if someone's getting bullied, you fucking defend them. You And they're all like, mommy, we go to school in New York. No one cares. No one cares. No one bullies anyone. But do you say anything like that to your son? And do you think he's going to be tall? Uh, he's already tall. Yeah, he he's uh, yeah, he's 13 and he's way past. He passed my wife a year and a half, two years ago. Wow. Um, he's 5'8 now, I think. Um, um, but uh, yeah, skinny like I was and into all the same stuff as me, but oh, it's a, a different time, right, you know, right? like people, geeks aren't, you know, that's not a thing. It's not right. a negative thing like it was. So, and he goes to a private school where there's, you know, absolutely no bullying, Right. And, but he would, he would be uh, defending kids because that's already the way he is. Yeah. I love that. Like, um, uh, I just want you to know that my son's been playing basketball forever and AAU and all this shit. And now he's plays college, but the, all the coaches when he was being recruited asked how tall the mother is. FYI. Huh? That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. They all, and I go to these games and I'm like, Oh my God, that woman's really tall. And I want to be the fucking tallest. It's like, now I want to be the tallest one again. Now I'm sure. Are you six or six one? I was six, three. And oh, I six got three. Down to six two. I think I'm like six one and a half, six two now. You know, but I really want. I had a knee replacement. I have to get the other one replaced, and then I might get a little. Comfortable. Do you still get happy when you walk into a room and there's another tall person? Yeah, I want to go. Hey, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's yeah. sort of like this winky thing. You know what I mean? Like you're like, yeah. Uh, you. 
my the special I just recorded the the makeup woman was six four. No and, way. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just so rare. Uh, you know, for me to get somebody that we're almost eye to eye. Right. And I was like, hey, how's it going? I know. <laughs> and it's so weird being at party. Like, people don't understand you're at a party. You can't hear a fucking thing anyone's saying because they're all like five feet tall. Right. And you have to bend it. It's awful. Uh, your new special is Posein Non Grata, which is a fucking great. Um, is it Poseina Non Grata? Poseina Non Grata, yeah. Um, I, just I love puns. <laughs> I know. I love it. Um, and of course, your book, I. I forever nerdy living my dorky dreams and staying metal. I fucking love it. Um, okay. So now you have a, you're, you have a wife and a child. You're successful. Do you want to just keep going? What, you know, you've achieved so much success. Do you get recognized everywhere you go? Yeah. Not at home so much, you know, not too many people in the Valley bug me, but, but yeah, I mean, I was just where my wife grew up. She grew up in a small town in, in central California and people freak out. Right. <laughs> like I'm at the McDonald's right. and this dude's like, what the, what are you doing here? Right, you right. know? And I'm like, do you ever get on stage? Uh, I don't know if this ever happens to you. This happens to me. I'll get off stage and people will say, Oh, you are that tall. I'm like, like I'm fucking lying. Like I no, I just made it up for my act. You fucking yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I know you have frustration and rage. I don't know where did the rage go. I I still have rage um, and anger, uh, and I hate people for the most part. And yet I love people for the most part. Your your comedy is not angry, right? Well. I try to keep the things that I get angry about out of my comedy. Like I don't talk about politics or right. religion much in my act because it is something that means so much to me. And uh, I will lose half the audience because I have certain beliefs. Right. And so when I do tackle those topics, I always try to come from a way a more open and kind of just try to twist Right. The, you know, the hierarchy or the the way the way things are and try to find another angle, you know, um, that's always. I, do, I get so angry. I wish I um, and then as far as making fun of other people, that's not a thing that I like. Right. So, I mean, my oh, act why? did become yeah, I my that. act did become more self-deprecating. Well, you would think, I mean, and, that, and I can be I can be meaner than anybody right. because I am smarter than most of right. the people that picked on me. Right. Um, but I, I pull back. I, I, I don't want to make anybody sad or, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do oh, out there. So I don't either. I want to make people laugh at themselves, but then yeah. sometimes I look, I see a video. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so annoying. <laughs> like I can't, <laughs> but I get so worked up about stuff. And I just think, I don't know. I hate, I don't know, whatever. Okay, before we end, which I could talk to you forever, and I really want to do, I wish we could fucking be a fucking married couple. I don't understand. I don't understand. Uh, who do we know who's know. currently currently running some shows? I mean, we can be I, a I agree. Couple with a, a star athlete son, and we're the fucking nerdiest. Non. No, we talked about this at Tough Crowd yeah. years yeah, ago yeah, yeah, about yeah. yeah, yeah. 
you know, and I never told you this, but um, one of my first specs was for All American Girl. No way. Yeah. And I wrote this you'll love. I wrote you into the tall club. So I wrote I wrote for you because you were the tall girl on the show. So I was like, oh, oh I can use my mom's stuff here. Right. So I had you you go on a, a blind date with a tall guy and there was all this tall guy stuff and that you didn't even want to be with a tall guy. You, you know, but, but, but at any oh, rate, I love that. that was oh. my, you were my A story. And then my B story was Margaret, the star oh, of the show. I love you. Yeah. 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 Do people know? Yeah. You run the Margaret show sitcom yeah, yeah, for yeah. people that aren't. I, we just found, and she a, was a really close friend of mine. And yeah. so she asked me, she goes, Hey, you know, the first season, um, I wrote some jokes for her and, and, right. but she was like, you know, write us back, write us back. And so I did. Well, the writing on that show was not good. Um, yeah. but I got, except for the Quentin Tarantino episode, yeah, the Quentin Tarantino episode was hilarious. That's insane. Like people don't even know that. So he loved her. He was really into her and, uh, wrote, wrote an episode for her show that no one remembers. I remember. I re and you know, what right. we did one day. Um, so he, it was his episode and he was in it. And then, um, the director, we all said, uh, let's come in a half hour early. And when the director walks in, we'll have Quentin sitting in the director's seat and he'll walk in and see Quentin trying to take over. And we totally fucking ripped on the director. It was, <laughs> it was hilarious, but he didn't think it was that funny. Um, no, because, sure. oh, <laughs> um, okay. I always ask my, my podcast guests two questions. First of all, what do you do for your mental health? Hmm. Uh, right now, nothing, but, uh, I should be back in therapy. I have a great therapist, um, but until she retires. Uh, did you stop? Did you stop therapy? I'm currently not seeing her now. Yeah. I stopped for how long I do that too. It's been since my mom passed. I had some oh. issues when my mom passed, uh, you know, and then, and so we were talking then and then, but it's, it's been like more than or close to three years now. Well, do you, are you going to go back after this podcast? I mean, there's definitely things will come up and I'll, I'll turn to my wife and go, I should go back to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> you can take a break. You've been going yeah. since you're fucking five or six. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So I call the podcast kill me now because as I just explained, I get aggravated at everything. So I want to know what pisses you off more than anything in the entire fucking world. Uh, that makes well, you crazy mad, but you know, it could be anything, but not well, political things, but right. usually, but, um, uh, hecklers still, Oh, they fucking, the fucking shit out of me. People that, just, yeah, people that just don't know the rules in a comedy club. It still drives me insane. It's going, it's getting worse and worse. The thing is, is that I used to, be like, go ahead, heckle me, because I'll fucking rip you a new asshole, which is my forte since, again, my childhood. So my mother, I did, I ignored everyone, but in my head, I was like, you know, I had these little comebacks, but I never said them. So now I could say them. But now, there, now, literally, when someone heckles, I'm like, go. You know what? I've yeah. been doing this too fucking long. No. And leave. Like, why do you have to yeah. come here and fucking ruin my life? 
also like when you're the headliner, you're like, do research. Right. Decide if you like me or not at home. Like, don't fucking do it here. Right. <laughs> like, go redo this in the future. You know, I, I've talked with other comics about this because I don't think I would go to comedy clubs uh, if I didn't do comedy. Yeah. Like, it's not a thing that I would go, hey, I want to just hear some random person yes. talk for an hour. Like, would I go to see a certain comedian? Yes. But but a lot of comedy clubs exist of, you know, like you, you play places like Zany's in Chicago and they're like, we don't care who's here. Right. Uh, we're always sold out. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter who the headliner is. We're always right. sold out. And I don't understand that. Like, I, well, you know what like, I mean? Like, I would never yeah. just walk up to a bright sign that says yeah. comedy and go, hope I like this comedy. Yeah. I mean, that happens in New York. You know, you yeah. go in and you don't know who the fuck's going to be on the show. Um, no, and I just can't even get my head into, I can't even understand what they're doing there. Like, right. what did you want? Like, <laughs> I look around at the audience sometimes and I'm like, what is your life? Like, I yeah, always yeah. am like, like you went out to dinner and then this is the big thing of your whole week. You know what I mean? Like my fans, I understand. Yeah. Like, like comedy nerds. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Of course, right. you should be here. But anybody else, I'm like, why are your arms crossed? Right. You know, fuck off. Like, you shouldn't even be here. You, also, you should have made better choices tonight. Or when I see pretty people, like a pretty, really uh, beautiful couple, it's like, go salsa dancing. Yeah. Go, go fuck yourself. Go, go fuck in your car. Yeah. Just, just fucking quit making me feel terrible right. about when I'm just trying to do my job. And then you look at them and they they all think they can do what you did. Like they have no fucking clue how hard it is to do what we do. You know, everyone yeah. thinks they can tell a fucking joke. Well, you can't tell a fucking joke, you fucking asshole. Yeah, for 35 years or whatever, yeah. too. <laughs> um, Brian, I hope where. All right. Where can first of all watch Brian's new special, Posena Non Grata, uh, get his book. What It came out. When did it come out? Like in 2018? Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's great. Forever nerdy, living my dorky dreams and staying metal. Um, what else, what else, where else can we um, see you? Uh, BrianPassane.com has all my stuff, but I have a ton of comic books coming out that. I know. Uh, I love that. I got real busy during COVID because I was sitting here and right in the nerd cave i'm in right now and and just i i have to be busy like i'm the same way hype a d d d d d d d yeah what about i needed a break from stand-up it actually worked out like i needed to not travel for a little while but i was still i was going insane yeah yeah um are you into pinball and stuff because yeah i would go in college i was the only woman in the fucking game room fucking nerd Pac-Man, Atari, Pinball. Yeah. I like I was that's well, what I the one behind me I wrote. I, I wrote all the no dialogue for it. Way. Yeah, yeah. So it's a Deadpool uh, pinball machine and oh I actually God, I fucking love you. Yeah. Um <laughs> Brian, I can't thank you enough for doing my show. I really before I die, can we please do something together? Yeah, I feel like if we lived close, we'd eat, we'd have coffee or go to sushi yes. or whatever. Yeah, it sucks you're on the other coast, but I know. 
but you know, we could walk in and everyone could stare at us. And like, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Kill Me Now with uh, Brian Posehn. How fucking great was he, huh? What a life. You should be grateful for everything you have. Uh, Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast and my life would not be possible without the help of Brittany Joe Sowards. Richmond. Uh, if you have not subscribed and left a review, really? I mean, seriously. I know I say this every week, but it's fucking annoying. Please. I need five stars. I also, uh, oh, by the way, speaking of five stars, I was in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago and I got an Uber and then like it took forever because I have a fucking 4.49. And then I was like, why do you think I have a 4.49 to the driver? And they're like, well, you get that if you cancel a lot. I'm like, I cancel a lot because you fucking people like say you're on your way and then you cancel or you make a weird turn, whatever. So I have a shitty Uber score and I really want to get it up. So if you have any... um, any suggestions let me know also if you have not bought tickets to my show at 59 east 59 e 59 e e uh which is at 59 east 59 street the theaters are in there are amazing please there's a link in my bio it's called yes i can say that and my book that it's based on is yes i can say that when they come for the comedians we're all in trouble because we are so you can read the book and then see the book come to life it is directed by B.D. Wong. I wrote it with my friend Eddie Sarfati. Um, it's it's a, such a great team. Primary Stages, Jamie DeRoy. There's so many great producers, and I, I'm just thrilled. So I'm really excited. So please link in my bio for tickets. Oh, yeah, so you have to follow me on Twitter and Instagram for everything, at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D, because I'm a Jew! You know, like Jew, D. Anyway, um, if you're still listening, I love you more than anything, and uh, I will, I will bring up your name as soon as I have time to look you up. But I thank you all for the love and support, and uh, have a great week. And as we always say, so long.